joined today on the Football CFB podcast by Man City icon and current Connors key manager, Andy Morrison. Andy, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure, Callum. Pleasure. I want to ask you about this season for Connors Key. I came down and watched the game against Cardiff May, interviewed you after it. It was a disappointing day, but you've not had too many disappointing days this season because the team are absolutely flying. How do you reflect on the season so far? Well, it's really, it was going great. Um, you know, we're in a rich uh, vein of form, you know, coming into the, the period where we've had to sort of lock down. Um, you know, we've uh, been the most consistent team over the season, um, you know, and that shows in being four points clear, uh, won the League Cup. Um, and then obviously the day you come down, we had a little blip in the cup, although we played very, very well. Um, and nine times out of ten, if you played as well and create as many chances as we did, you'd win the game. But it just wasn't meant to be. In terms of Connors Key, you you joined the club in 2015. How did the move to Connors Key come about? Well, <clears throat> I knew they were an ambitious club. The chairman wanted to to push on and um, you know and challenge at the top end of the league. Um, so when the job became available, I obviously um, applied for the job and got an interview and um, I managed to impress the the, the chairman enough to to give me a chance. Um, you know, when when I think back now, that's four years. It'll be five years in November. You know, we've come a come a real long way since then. So really, uh, had a really really great time in that period. You know, and and uh, long may it continue. In terms of the the time in charge, you've 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 got the the club their highest finishes in the league. You've played in the Scottish Challenge Cup, you got to the final of that competition, you've played in the Europa League, starting first of all with the Welsh League, you've been doing so well, improving year on year, and this season as it stands, obviously we don't know when it'll finish, but you're, you're top of the league and you're in a good position, so how are you feeling about the, about the situation when football does come back? Well, that's, uh, you know, I've spoken about it now a few times, and, and the most difficult thing for, for anyone um, involved in football is the uncertainty. Um, you know, if from day one we were told it's three months and then you'll be back, you know, you can mentally prepare for that. You have an end game. Um, but, you know, the hardest thing is, you know, I think we knew when they said April the 3rd that that was unrealistic when you were looking at what's happening in Italy and Spain. Um, and without, you know, a clear date, it's become very difficult to, to sort of prepare. So you're just trying to deal with things on a daily basis um, and, and waiting for that. Hopefully, when you, you receive an email or, or a contact from the from the FA saying that, you know, we're ready to go. I'm hoping that will be at least a three weeks um, preparation time. You know, I don't think it can be, you know, uh, you can go back in on a Monday and then look to be playing the next Saturday. I think that's impossible in preparation. Um, but... It's like I say, it's unprecedented. Nobody's, nobody knows where we're going, um, and we just have to try and uh, and deal with it as it comes along. In terms of the 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 games you've had in the the Scottish Challenge Cup, I'm interested to ask you, what's that been like as a Scotsman taking your team, a Welsh team, into the Scottish game? It's been fantastic. You know, it's a great experience, something that we really look forward to. You know, you're waiting on the draw and. To be honest with you, you know, we're hoping for an away away leg um, when we when the draw's been made. You know, it's nice to, you know, travel up to Scotland and, um, you know, and if you can get a decent tie, like we played Falkirk and we've been up and played Queen's Park and, um, 
you know, Partick Thistle, and, and it's great. You get a chance to stay over and enjoy the weekend. Um, obviously, you know, with the most important aspect of it is trying to win the game of football. Um, we've had uh, the first season we played them Barton, and uh, we took them to 120 minutes, and we were down to 10 men, and they scored with the last free kick, last kick of the game. Um, and then Barton went on and got to the, the final. So we always felt we had a chance. Um, against the teams because you know we've we'd shown in that game that we were more than capable of holding our own that we probably should have won the game. And the following season, obviously, we got to the final with uh, I think it was Falkirk, Coleraine, um, Queens Park, Edinburgh. We had, a, we had a fantastic run, you know, culminating in obviously the final in, in Inverness, which was obviously where I was born. So it, it had a special, um, you know, it had a special meaning to me uh, to go back there and play. We we played exceptionally well. Probably should have been three 0 up at half time, um, but you know Ross County went on and uh, were promoted to the Scottish Premier League, and you know they showed that extra bit of quality um, in those last twenty minutes. You know when we began to flag a little bit with the intensity and the and uh, the, the pressure we had to play at. Um, you know they came through with a bit of quality and scored three late goals. Uh, we turned the game around, but a fantastic experience and one again this season we we enjoyed. You know we went to Park the Silver. I thought were a very very good team on the day. Been very surprised, really, uh, just how they struggled this year. I thought with a new manager coming in and uh, the quality of the squad that they had, I, I really did expect them to kick on. But again, maybe that just reflects the strength of the, the Scottish Championship. That a team, you know, with that much quality could be can still be at the bottom of the league. Um, but you know, we qualified this year again by winning the League Cup, so we're uh, we're delighted and looking forward to the challenge next year. In terms of playing in this competition. It's obviously really helped Connors Key be known in Scotland. And from there, something we need to talk about is obviously the Europa League runs because the Kilmarnock game, which we'll come to, is another reason why the name Connors Key is renowned through Scot- throughout Scotland now. But before we come to the Kilmarnock game, you've been, you've, you've not, it's not as if you just beat Kilmarnock and that's the pinnacle. You beat Stabbe over in Norway. So, how's the Europa League been for you? Because some fairy tale moments for the club. I think the uh, pinnacle of the season is is to qualify for Europe and then have the experience of that. You know, when Cardiff Met did it last year and, and they spoke about it fondly and you know what a fantastic occasion it was and landed you no know, a couple of seasons ago and um, you know it's 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 a bonus for 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 many teams to get into Europe you know and um, I think at where we are at this moment in time you know if we were to qualify this year. It would be our fifth year on the spin, so perhaps it's become a little bit more expected for Connors Key to be in there. Um, we never take it for granted. I know how difficult this league is, um, but we've we've managed to find a way to grind out results and, and get ourselves into Europe over the last few years. And you know, obviously, the start back game was was quite remarkable. Believe McKinley, uh, obviously a Scottish uh, international and well known from that pure part of the world, um, was the manager of Starback and. Um, and we were surprised in the first game that um, you know that they didn't really cause us any problems. They didn't have anything really, really special or any um, system or any individual player that would cause us problems. Um, and we went across there and obviously got the early goal and uh, and then we defended for our lives like we always do. Um, and it was a magical. It was just an incredible occasion for everyone attached to the club because you know this was a team that were halfway through their season. You know, a Norwegian full-time team, and um, and they'd never a Norwegian team had never been beat by a Welsh team in, in Europe, and uh, you know we were the first team to do it, and we we kept two 
clean sheets back to back. So was a, a remarkable achievement, not just for the club but for for the Welsh league and, and showing how much you know the club, the, the the league had actually come on over the last few seasons and and got stronger. And um, you know we beat Helsinki the following year at home, which was again. Uh, you know, was a remarkable achievement, and then we just came up short when we went across to them. But um, yeah, there was all great experiences, and um, and it is like I say, it's the it's the pinnacle of the season to qualify for Europe, and then you wait for that draw to come across. I've been fortunate enough to go to the the draw at UEFA headquarters, um, and it's it's just very it's it's a fantastic experience. Anyone who's done it would say that um, you know it's something that. You know, you'd love to do if you were lucky enough to manage in the Welsh League. Something I want to ask you about from that Stabet game. It was an incredible result, and when I was down, obviously there's a big picture of it in the D side stadium. And Trevor, obviously the stadium kind of director, was saying to me that if you look at, this, he said to me, look at the picture of the players celebrating and tell me what you notice. And and I didn't really know what to say. I just seen joy and and, and happiness. And then he said, look at the captain, what's in his hand, and you can see that he's got a credit card. So can you tell us the story about the, the credit card and what happened when the, when the players won the match? Well, I, I said to the, the players before the game that um, if they won the game and we went through that evening and, you know, Bearing in mind, it's worth a quarter of a million to the football club if you if you win that game of football. And I just said it's a free bar. I said uh, if if you win the game tonight, and um, and yeah, we 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 you know we believed that we should get something there. But again, you know, we were huge outsiders to go through. You know, I think we were almost thirty three to one. I think to uh, to actually beat Star back and go through, which you know again speaks volumes of what the achievement was. And. Uh, and anyway, the lads we had a big pile on, and Kearney's come out with their, come out with their, um, my card in his hand, and uh, and let me tell you, they basically spent, uh, I think they did over five thousand pound that night, the players. Although saying that, it is uh, ten pound a pint over there, so they definitely got their money's worth. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, you mentioned the fact Stabek beating them, beating Helsinki. You mentioned earlier you're born in Inverness. You're a Scotsman. You you get drawn against Kilmarnock and. Obviously, you'd been playing in the the Challenge Cup as we talked about, but the attitude in Scotland, Andy, at the time was, "Oh, come on, it will just brush on his key aside. They'll be far too good for them." Steve Clark just left, new manager in Alessio. He's came from um, being assistant manager at some of the biggest clubs. They'll brush on his key aside, no bother. And and it wasn't that case at all. Kilmarnock obviously scored a late goal down in Wales, which obviously made the media up here think it was job done, but. That's, that game at Rugby Park was absolutely sensational. Describe those games against Kilmarnock for me, what it was like to be involved in and, and your attitude um, during them. Because I can imagine you being a Scotsman playing against a Scottish team in such a big occasion, you really did have a point to prove. Yeah, it was. When the, when the draw was made and we saw the group, you, you actually get an idea of the six teams that are in your group that you could choose, you know, get uh, get uh, picked against. Um, and obviously Kilmarnock were in there. And I think there was a... A club that I can't remember it precisely now, but there was one club that we would say, yeah, well, we'll take that. That gives us a fair chance. And then once that went, I think we, um, I think we wanted to uh, miss the big um, Swedish team. I think it was AIK. And then um, after that, it was well, you know, let's get Kilmarnock because um, logistically it's great. You know, there's very, very a lot of cost to the football club for these European adventures. You know, you're looking at up towards maybe. Uh, 30,000 plus for costs and all that where this would just be a, a jaunt up the M6 um, and you know 
work out that way. Plus, you know, great coverage from the game. Um, and we always try to stay in the game the best we can. You know, if you can just get to 20 minutes and then games and then half time and then before you know it, you're at 70 and you're in the game. Um, what we did take was uh, we played Aberdeen in, in pre-season um, over in Cork. And uh, <clears throat> and Derek McInnes was very, uh, very impressed with our setup and the way we did things and all that. And I think he went in the Scottish press and actually said, you know, if Kilmarnock are at their best, they'll win the game. But you can't take these lads lightly. He said, there's a, a great spirit there. He said, and I can see what they do. And, um, you know, so we felt, you know, we, we drew nil-nil with Aberdeen um, in that pre-season game. And, uh, and we felt we could stay in the game. And we're always caused problems, you know, with our set plays. We're very inventive. Um, and it was such a hard night for us at, uh, at Rill because, um, obviously, we, we'd gone ahead. Obviously, against you run the play, they dominated possession. Um, and then we conceded two late goals, you know, a, a crazy penalty, which, uh, you know, had no logic to the decision, which made it one all. And you're thinking, well, you know, it's a great result, one all against uh, a team that had finished just behind Rangers and Celtic. And then, you know, with a dying seconds, uh, Big Finley turns up and scores a goal. And, you know, the first corner that we conceded from in over four years. Um, so that was really tough to take and really took the wind out of us. And I found it very hard to take anything from the game after that. And, you know, I, I'm trying to pick the players up, but I had to try and pick myself up because, you know, I knew I was going up there and I knew how difficult it was going to be on the, the 3G pitch, you know, with the first game and the crowd. And um, But we went about it in the same manner. You know, we prepared exactly the same way. And, and you need a, you know, in a game like that, you need things to go your way. Um, you know, you need to keep her, first of all, to have a, a magnificent night. And Lewis Brass did. He came to the fore on the night and was was quite incredible um, in his performance. Uh, there were so many players that played just you know beyond what they they had ever achieved before. The standard was that high, and then we scored goals at the right time. Um, and you know, and in the end, you know, we we got in a couple of times in the last few minutes that may, may have made it three. But it was it was just I think for me the. And not expecting anything and just going there and trying to stay in the game and then you get the 70 minutes and then you get the first goal you know and um, and you just think you know is this it's going to be one of these nights and uh, and it was and it was a fantastic night for me fantastic night for the football club but especially an incredible night for Welsh football because it put it put the map you know a lot of people were speaking about um, uh, Wales and the standard of the league after that and that you know you could or, you know you can get lucky in a game but you can't get lucky over two games you know you can't get lucky over 180 minutes and uh, you have to be doing something right and uh, and we did and the players got the, the plaudits for it rightly so um, and they deserved it because every one of them on that night were giants they were they were incredible the performance that they produced would you say that's the highlight of your managerial career so far? I know Jamie Insel put a tweet out after it saying not bad for a pub team which got a lot of press coverage up here because obviously the, as you mentioned the fact you were you were underdogs going into it. How how proud were you to have to have conquered Kilmarnock in the way that you did? Yeah, absolutely delighted. It, it was a bit surreal for me, to be honest. It seemed to happen that last twenty minutes, you know, with the penalty and then the sending off and um, it was all a bit of a, a daze, really, and you had to kind of snap yourself out of it after the game. You'd done the, you know, the debrief with the team after the game, and then you said, you know, we've got to, we've got to go in and prepare for for Partizan. Um, and before you know it, you know, people are putting microphones in front of your face, and you've been interviewed, and it all felt a little bit surreal because um, 
you know, I, I can cover things up as much as I want, but I did not envisage going to Kilmarnock and winning 2-0. Um, you know, the best scenario was to try and get a draw up there and, and cover away and, um, you know, with the pride intact. Um, and the worst case scenario was we were going to go up there and get an absolute hammering, um, which you don't want, you know, uh, going into the season on the back of that. But it never materialised that way, you know. And, and I don't think we would get a hammering. You know, we're too resolute, we're too strong, we're too, we're too organised. There's too many winners and there's too many leaders in, in my team to ever fold. You know, it, it, the, the mentality would always be if it's your one nil down, you make sure we don't go two and then you carry on from that. So, you know, we were never going to ever get um, get hammered by anyone in Europe. But, you know, it was uh, an incredible night. And as I said many times, it was an incredible night for Welsh football. In terms of yourself, Andy, you were a centre-half. So when you're managing, you mentioned how resolute your teams are defensively. Are you one of these managers who prioritises making sure your team's defensively sound first of all, so you can then build from there? I think that's the way you've got to go in Europe. You know, it's clear. Listen, I, I, one of the most difficult things is when you're not sure if you're inferior or superior to the opposition. You're in a little bit of a no man's land. You know, if you know the team are a, are a way way ahead of you, technically, physically, tactically, maybe not so much tactically, but. Um, they're way ahead of you. Then you know, your 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 job's set out in front of you how you're going to play. You know, um, and it, 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 it's completely and utterly about um, stifling the opposition in Europe and staying in the game as long as we can because you know, you're playing against the not just teams from the top leagues. You're playing against the top teams who are qualified that year before to actually get into Europe. So you know these, these are very very good teams and. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to be respectful and you have to try and find a way to make it as awkward as you can for them and then try and get yourself to that 65, 70 minutes where you're still in the game. Then it's real. Then it becomes a different mentality and you're growing in confidence. Your your players are, 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 are going to another level while the opposition are feeling the pressure. So once you get past that 65, 70, it's huge in Europe um, if you're still in the game because the whole dynamics of the game change. So, yes, in Europe, we're defensively. If, if we're playing against a team with all due respect and um, I believe we're superior to them, then we'll, we will play in a different way. You know, we will, we'd look to dominate the ball and, um, and look to cause him different kind of problems that we have this season, you know, uh, in the league and also in the cup where we play teams from the leagues below. You know, we've, we've known clearly that we are the better team. And so we, we have to make sure that we, we have possession of the ball. In terms of Connors Key this season, we talked about your league form, but you've already got a trophy in the bag this season. How how proud were you to, to manage to, to get the League Cup under your belt? Yeah, it was. It was it's a trophy. Uh, and um, I wasn't sure exactly how big it was in relation to the Welsh Cup, which we won a couple of years ago. But the the, the, the day was magical. I think the you know, the key the, the cup is obviously the Welsh Cup. Um, this is the League Cup, so it's it's not it's not the same. But the day was magical, you know. I, the, the players celebrated. I could still see them now, you know, lifting the trophy, and um, and it was great for the club. And as I said again, you know, you can't win too many trophies. And um, you know, we got the Welsh Cup, we got the League Cup, you know, we got to the final of the Iron Brew, um, and we're in a really healthy position this year now in the league. So um, you know, we're certainly doing something right. That's for sure, Callum. No, absolutely, and I have to say, when I was down, I was I was really impressed by 
the whole setup. I was impressed by speaking to Jake Atten, obviously your director of football, speaking to you, speaking to Craig as well. You clearly have got a real idea and plan of what you, not only what you want to do now, but what you what you want to achieve in the future. And I just want to ask you, Andy, you've been linked obviously with the Wrexham job in recent years, but you're happy at Connors Key. You signed a new contract. What are your aims for the next couple of years? I just want to keep winning games with football, Callum. Um, I get asked, I get asked very often. You know, um, do you think you're ready to get a chance? Um, do you think you, you you're ready to move on and all that? I'm a very very lucky person. I'm a very lucky manager to be managing in the Welsh Premier League. Um, I've got a fantastic uh, group of players. I've got an ambitious football club, um, and I'm very very lucky to be working in it, at the standard that I'm working at. So, you know, as for as for moving on. I'm, I'm more than happy where I'm at, um, and it's not a lack of ambition. It's a, it's a, an understanding, acknowledgement of of how lucky I am to be working in the Welsh League. Um, I'm working against other managers who every manager in, in the Welsh League has got the pro license, so they're all equipped to set teams up and cause you no end of problems on a match day, whether they're uh, whether that's in a defensive or an offensive way. Um, every week you're coming against top managers who are very very clever. Um, so I'm very lucky to be in this league um, and if an opportunity was to come along somewhere else um, then so be it but at this moment in time I've just signed a new two year deal um, and while the chairman has the hunger to keep pushing and keep challenging I'm more than happy to um, to, to, to lead his football club uh, and try and ultimately win the league which, which has been our goal from day one when I came in four years ago we've closed the gap year on year um, we don't have the financial clout that TNS have. You know their infrastructure that they have in place now has been in there for probably ten to fifteen years. Um, so we're we're certainly playing catch up, but we're we're doing the right things, and uh, I'm I'm enjoying where I'm working. Oh, that's good to hear. And as I say, when when I was down, I could just see the happiness that the that's and amongst your group of players and your and your staff as well. So no, as I say, I wish you all the best with Connors Key going forward and. It's, it's a club that, as I say, in Scotland is well known thanks to the Kilmarnock result, but also through the Iron Brew appearances, and, and I look forward to watching the club in that competition next year. I want to talk to you about your playing career now, Andy. You mentioned that you you were born in Inverness, but you left Inverness quite young and, and the family moved to Plymouth. Um, how did all that come about? Well, my mum was uh, from Plymouth. My dad met her. He was in the Marines, and... Um... And they moved back down there. My dad was a fisherman, so, you know, they just moved the family down. I was eight years old, and, you know, we went from the north of Scotland to the, the far south of England. Um, and we started there, you know, and ultimately I became a Plymouth Argyle fan very early, uh, and it was always my dream to play for Plymouth. Um, so I signed an apprenticeship with Plymouth and, and then went on to, uh, you know, have a, have a great three or four years at Plymouth, um, you know, where I was very, 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 very proud to put the green shirt on. Um, and and ultimately, um, you know, that I did enough there to, to, to get a move, which uh, got me up the country a little bit more towards Blackburn. So, you know, I, it was a great, uh, a great time at Plymouth. Um, and, you know, I obviously did enough there to, to, to get a chance to move to a Premier League club. Before we talk a wee bit about Plymouth, when you were young, you had a trial at Southampton, and I believe you also trialled alongside Alan Shearer and Matt Letissi. What was that like? Could you see how good they were at that age? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know at the time that they would go on to be the players they were. 
And, but it was a it was a, a pivotal moment for me, you know, when I went to Southampton to to actually see the standards. Um, I had no idea about the dedication and the commitment um, and the focus that as a youngster you would need to have. Um, and in the, the the two weeks that I do did spend with Southampton, um, I was lucky enough to see the standards and and just the lengths that were needed to even become an apprentice, let alone a professional. Um, so you know, um, it was a great experience for me, and um, and I took that when I came back to Plymouth, and um, I went in and, and I had a better understanding of of just what you needed to do to to be the best. You mentioned the fact that Plymouth was a good club for you in the sense that. You made over 100 appearances, well over 100 appearances. You were doing really well. You were a, a centre-half who was being looked at by other clubs. What was life at Plymouth like under, first of all, obviously Dave Kemp, but then Peter Shilton, one of the legends of the game too? Yeah, it was great. Like I say, you know, I was so so proud to to, to um, make my debut and play for Plymouth. Um, and he, it was, you know, it was... It was a great period in my life. You know, I was playing really, really well. There was a lot of scouts at every game and I'd been mentioned to uh, a couple of clubs, um, you know, that were, were higher up the the, uh, the leagues. And um, and like I say, eventually, you know, the, the phone, call, phone call come from Shilton and said that Blackburn have committed for you and we've agreed a fee um, and it's up to you now to go and agree terms with them. And it, it, it literally happened overnight. Um, you know, I'm training, ready, getting ready for the season to start, and um, and all of a sudden, you know, your life just turns around just like that, and uh, and off we went to Blackburn. In terms of Blackburn, you were managed by one of the legends of Scottish football and and really UK football in general, and Kenny Dalglish. What was Kenny like as a manager, and what did he say to you when you went up to sign for Blackburn? Well, he, he was very blunt. He just said, it's a fantastic opportunity for you. He said, I won't kid you. He said, we've got some exceptional um, centre-halves at this football club. Um, Henningberg, David May, Patrick Anderson, um, Kevin Moran, you know, Colin Hendry, top, top players. He said, but we believe you've got uh, ability and we believe that you can get better. Um, and, you know, he was, uh, it's just his aura and his presence did everything that was needed. Um, you know, he, he, he was such a an icon in the game, um, you know, and to to, to think that, um, you know, he'd seen something in you that he thought, uh, you know, had the chance to, to kick on, then, uh, you know, it, it made you feel, it made you feel very proud and, um, you know, and it was a great, a fantastic experience and it didn't work out the way I'd hoped um, because I didn't play enough games. But like I said, the quality the quality wasn't um, probably was better than what I ever imagined. Um, the standard of players, and um, and you know, I just came up short. I just wasn't, um, you know, maybe maybe two or three seasons, two or three years um, later, I'd have probably been more be more ready for, for for that standard. What was it like when you made your Premier League debut? You came on and replaced Tim Sherwood in a, in a game that the club won three nothing. What was that day like? It was fantastic. I'd waited a long time. You know, I picked up a knee injury and when I went, I had two operations and came back from that, got myself really fit, was playing well. And then I was on the bench. And I think it was Kevin Moran actually went down with a hamstring strain um, after about five minutes. Um, and it was against Wimbledon. So if any game's going to suit, suit me, it was uh, that kind of game. 
you know, where um, it was just a, a battle against Fashionu and Holtworth. And, you know, I had a very good game, got man of the match um, and stayed in the team until David May got fit again, you know, and I was expected. I played well in that game. I played well in the in the cup against Charlton in the midweek. Um, and then we went to Spurs at the weekend and, and David May was fit again and he went in. That was just the harsh realities of, of football. And again, probably a reflection of, of just how good David May was. You know, he, he, I think the season after he went to Manchester United. So, you know, there was no shame in, in losing the shirt to him. Who were the big characters in that dressing room and what was the standard in training like? Because some top players, I mentioned Tim Sherwood there, but David Batty, there was there was top players galore in that Blackburn side. Yeah, it was. It was an exceptional group. You know, every day, you know, I'm either marking Kevin Gallagher or, or Mike Newell or Chris Sutton or Alan Shearer, you know, so you're getting asked all different questions every, every training session and the quality was was incredible. Um, David Batty and Tim Sherwood in midfield, and um, you know these are, these were incredible players: Stuart Ripley, Jason Wilcox, um, and like I say, Henning Berg and Graham Lassol, your two fullbacks. So um, you couldn't help but learn, you couldn't help but um, improve, uh, and also understand again the the gulf between you know maybe the the, the first or second division and and the actual Premiership was huge. Um, you know these players. It was um, maybe not technically, but um, definitely the mental toughness. And you know, in Tim Sherwood, the captain, you know, was again somebody that um, I really respected. Um, he was incredibly strong mentally, and had a real presence about him. And um, you know, and again, a great leader. Somebody I've got to ask you about is Chris Sutton. He's he's a big character. He's on BT up in Scotland and down in England quite a lot. You've you've got to have a Chris Sutton story, surely. No, uh, Chris Sutton. Um, we lived near um, to Chris, and I used to travel in with him. And my um, my um, son was page boy at his uh, wedding, um, and so I had a good relationship with Chris. And um, yeah, just a just a crazy, crazy character. Um, you know, was was such a talented footballer and so full on and relentless. You know, he, uh, he he just was every single day he trained at the same standard and the same intensity and nothing seemed to phase him. You know, it just, he was still relatively young, um, you know, and it was a huge move from Norwich to, to I think we might have been the, the record fee at the time. And he just took it in stride. It just, it just seemed to mean nothing, you know. Um, and was intimidated by nobody and uh, a very, very clever footballer. Who got actually got better and better as he got older, I think. Absolutely. And in terms of Alan Shearer, obviously everyone knows him as the Premier League's record goal scorer. Was he just relentless in training in terms of practicing his finishing day after day? Yeah, he was just very thorough. I, I don't think I don't think he was the greatest trainer. Um he didn't play at the same intensity in the same um you know, there was just a different animal when it came to match day. You could almost feel it in the changing rooms. You know, when when you turned up for the game, there was just something different about him. It wasn't the same in training. He was he was quite um, a light-hearted character in training. Um, you know, never really got involved in the physical side of things. But when it came to a match day, you know, the person who came in to change you in the eyes and the intensity and the focus was was so deep. Um, and and he played that way every single game. You know, he played exactly the same, and then didn't seem to seem to have to reach those same heights in training. Um, but you know, never didn't turn up. Was always at it, and uh, again, 
a fantastic leader as well, as well as a great player. Who would you say were the best players you played against during your time at Blackburn, whether that was in the first team or, or in the reserves? Well, it was different. It's, it's strange because, you know, like a Chris Sutton or a or, or, or an Alan Shearer, believe it or not, weren't weren't my nightmare in training. Kevin Gallagher was. Um, because, you know, the bigger the pitch got and the more space around you with Kev, you know, would be winning channels and looking to drop his shoulder and spinning behind and coming short and that I used to find that a lot more difficult than actually standing up against somebody who was strong and physically looking to get balls into their feet. Although we're, you know, in, in, you know, as his career went on, Shearer became more of that back to back to play sort of player. But you know, in those early days, he he, he still ran in behind. But I always found it more difficult. Kevin um, Gallagher, then kind of players, and Peter Undlove tortured me um, in one game for for Blackburn, which was live on Sky towards the end of the season and. And um, we were trying to win the game, so we left ourselves exposed. We left ourselves exposed, um, and um, and I just got ripped to bits by Peter Hundlove. And um, again, it was the pace and the movement and the quality um, that used to cause me more problems than the big physical striker. When you when the time came to to leave Blackburn in 1994, there was lots of interest in you. You were even linked with Celtic at the time. Did Celtic ever approach you? And was that deal ever close? It was very close. Um, I believe that um, they'd agreed something with um, with Blackburn, um, and I think right at the last, you know, the last moments. That's that's football. I think they went for John Hughes instead, who has obviously been playing up there, and um, and you know probably was a safer option than me. Um, and it just, you know, it didn't materialise. But there was a lot of talk, and it, it was definitely close because <clears throat> obviously the person who was representing me had said that they'd been in touch with the club, and the club had actually spoke to my agent and said that this could happen. But it just, as quick as it came up, it, it died away, and uh, and that's football. You're right. That is football. It moves quickly, and from there you moved to to Blackpool under Sam Allardyce. What was it like working under Big Sam? Because he's obviously a big name in the game. Yeah, it was terrific. Um, you know, going from really playing reserve team football in the squad at the weekend for for um, Blackburn to then being, you know, almost the main man at uh, Blackpool. You know, I was the record signing when I went in there. I think it was two hundred and fifty grand, um, which was their record fee paid for a player. And um, and yeah, it, it it just felt right for me straight away. Um, you know. The change room was right. The environment was right. The league, uh, and I really enjoyed it, you know. And um, obviously, it was Sam's first job, um, and you know, I can understand clearly now how Sam went on and had the career that he's had. Um, you know, he was meticulous in his detail and was very forward-thinking back then. You know, he was way ahead of things in the sports science side of things and and the training um, and recovery. Um, and I think that you know that followed him through his career was always thinking, uh, trying to think ahead and looking for that little edge wherever he could get it. One of the things Sam described you as was a horrible in-your-face centre-back and a complete nutter. Would you agree with Sam's description? Probably back then. I can't disagree with that. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I've been called a lot worse, so um, that's not too bad, I guess. Um yeah, yeah, you know, I I had a great season and a half with Sam, and we should have got promoted. We should have gone up through the playoffs, um, and we come up horribly short. And um, Sam got sacked, uh, and I moved on. 
Um, I can still remember having a phone call with him in the morning um, that he got the sack, and um, I was gutted, you know. And, and he said, "Well, he said some things work out for you, some things don't." He said, "But you know, you've just got to move now to Huddersfield." So, um, in a roundabout way, you know, although we failed there it, uh, and a door shut, you know, uh, another one opened and a, and a great chance to go and work at a fantastic club in Huddersfield. Before we move on to Huddersfield, you were made club captain at Blackpool, which really, the Andy Morrison captain really was the sort of story of your career. You captained multiple clubs. How did it feel when you were made captain at Blackpool? It was great. Yeah, very proud, same as I was at every club. Um, you know when I was asked to be the captain um, and yeah it just again I went in and just did what I did I was the captain of the reserves at Blackburn um, and just done my stuff just went about things the way I do and obviously Sam saw enough quality in there I think Phil Brown who was the captain he was a fantastic leader as well great character and a great leader in the changing room uh, he was coming towards the end of his career and became a, a player coach alongside um, alongside Sam and um, and obviously that uh, released the captaincy and, you know, Sam asked me, would I take it? And of course I did, you know, and I was very, very proud to captain that football club and, and I'm very, very proud, as I've always said, you know, to be in the Hall of Fame at uh, Blackpool. You know, I, I played 60 games there um, and, you know, I must have done something right to be remembered in the, in the Blackpool Hall of Fame. Well, you're, you're spot on, Hall of Fame for Blackpool and... I'll talk to you about that in a wee sec. You mentioned that coming up short in the playoffs. Now, Chris Kamara was the Bradford City manager and he's went on record as saying that he changed his tactics to try and stop you having an influence in the game. I mean, that just shows you just just how influential you were at Blackpool. Yes, you know, we we, we, we pressed high and we made them kick. We made everything go long and, you know, I, I kind of played just in front of the two centre-halves and... Um, and I, and I won most things airily and I, I got to things and I was aggressive and on the front foot. Um, and I'm not too sure how Chris, I think it's easy to speak after the event when you've won a game of football to say you, you, you tactically got it right. But I'm not too sure how that happened because we were, uh, you know, we were tuning a lot when we left there. Um, and, you know, I, I've known many times in my life that when the hand of fate plays its hand, it's sometimes as well, very often there's very little you can do about it. Um, and we, we tempted the hand of fate by taunting Bradford, at ha- uh, which was half-time in the tie. When the game finished, we taunted um, Bradford, you know, very unprofessional in the way we conducted ourselves in the changing room and the bar afterwards. And we left um, we left a bit of taste in their mouth. And, wow, did they make us pay for it the following week? Um, you know, and it's a, a lesson that I've never, ever, I never, ever forgotten. Um, you know, and make sure that... Uh, you never ever wind up the crocodile till you cross the river. When you get to the other side, you can say what you want, but when you still have to cross, make sure you're careful what you say. Um, and we uh, we were we were dealt a bitter bitter lesson, and we lost three 0 at home, um, and we're knocked out of the uh, of the playoffs. You mentioned being inducted into the Blackpool Hall of Fame. Just how proud a moment was that for you and your family? Yeah, huge. You know, when you think. Stanley Matthews and Jimmy Armfield and people from, you know, the, through the decades and, and for me to be picked as one of the players of the 90s, um, incredibly proud, incredibly proud because, um, like I said many times, you know, I don't, I, I never achieved what I should have achieved uh, in football. You know, when, when somebody like Joe Royal says, you know, you should have played 50 times for your country, you know, it's nice to hear that. 
but also it's a realization that you came up short in many ways. Um, and just those little things, you know, like that, just just uh, just reminds you that you couldn't have just been somebody that headed the ball and kicked people. You must have had a little bit more about you to be uh, to be able to be mixed in the same players as as I've just mentioned. From Blackpool on to, to Huddersfield, Brian Horton signed you there. What was he like as a manager? And sum up your time at Huddersfield for me. Yeah, Brian um, had tried to sign me a few times in my career and this one just worked out at the right time. Um, and it was a great move. You know, the club, they doubled their money, what they paid Blackpool. So I think they were delighted. They paid 250 got 500 um, So it was good for them. It was good business for Blackpool. It worked out right for me. I love Brian Horton. You know, he was uh, a ferocious, ferocious competitor. You know, there was uh, real darkness in his eyes when, when they came to match day and I loved him. Um, I loved his intensity and the way he went about things and it, you know, he lived and died for his football and um, you know, I went in there and scored on my debut, got off to a great start, was made the captain very early in, in, in time at the club. Lee Sinnett was coming towards the end and and uh, and I I probably took his shirt uh, at centre half and you know, Brian asked me would I be the captain and I said yes. Um, and I had a fantastic time there but ultimately uh, knee injuries um, cost me, cost me my my probably my best times at Huddersfield. Although, you know, I went on to play I think maybe sixty games, um, all in. I um, I still came up short. Um, and when I when I really got myself fit and I was right right at it, and there was a there was there was talk of a, a Scotland call up for there was a B game and Scotland they'd come to a couple of games at Huddersfield and. Uh, I was really playing at the top of my game and, uh, and I, got, I picked up a bad knee injury which ultimately, yes, a few years down the line but that was the start really of, of me retiring. Um, the, injury, the, the injury that I picked up was a... was a, um, it's, it's, the, it's the injury that finishes off footballers now. You know, it's the cartilage just gets worn away and then it, you eat into the bone and then you, you end up bone on bone and, you know... Um, and that was the start really, really when I got to... I was as fit as I could be and I was playing in a running in a really good space. Um, you know, I picked up some bad injuries at bad times and, and it just didn't work out and I ended up, you know, Brian got sacked, um, Peter Jackson came in and I didn't really get on too great with Peter. It was a, maybe a clash of egos. Um, obviously a lot wiser now than I was back then, but I was, you know, incredibly headstrong at sort of twenty eight years old and believed that my way I was right in what I felt and uh you know, I, I, I certainly deal with things if it was these days, but back then I didn't see it that way. And um, and ultimately one of us had to go and, and it was me. Um, and the opportunity came to go to City. The opportunity to go to, go to City is, you're right, it's spot on. It comes around. It's, it's, in all due respect, it wasn't the City it was now in the sense that the club were in Division 2 when you went there. Just what was it like when you went there in the sense that there was a big challenge on to get City back to where they belong? Yeah, it was. You know, it was uh, obviously, you, you know the history of the football club. I knew the name. Um, I played there probably maybe three months earlier at the end of the previous season. Uh, we went there with Huddersfield and we beat them 1-0. Um, and I knew uh, the size of the club and the fan base. Um, but I didn't really know just how big it was until I actually, you know, went there and signed and played. And then you began to get a feel for, you know, the size of the football club. Um, and the, 
like I say, I, I got off to a great start. I scored on my debut. I scored in the midweek game, so I got two and two, and uh, they were back-to-back wins. And um, and it couldn't have got it couldn't have gone any better for me. You know, it was a it was a great start, and um, the, the loan move become permanent. And again, within sort of six weeks, um, I became the captain of the club. Again, not something that I um, went in looking to be. Um, you know, I just went in and just did what I did. The same person that I had been at every club and. And obviously, there's some qualities that come through there that that uh, the manager believes that you're suited and equipped to to lead the football club. What was Joe Royal like again? Another one you've worked with so many of them in the game, Andy. That was a big name in football and someone in Joe who'd achieved so much uh, as both as a player and then as a manager. What was it like working under him? It was great. He was different. He was different to to Brian. He was a very um, very calm, very calm manager. I, 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 Struggled to think of a time where I ever saw him lose his temper um, and throw anything around. You know, he would. Uh, you, you could tell just by his body language and and, and his voice the disappointment if you'd let him down. You know, rather than any um, any any antics or hair dryer treatment. You know, um, um, and I think that came across eventually. Do you know when the, when the, I, I've said it many times that um, to, to, to take a sinking ship the way the way him and Willie Donaghy did. And turn it around, and then get back to back promotions. It, you know, you've got to be a special manager, and, and and I still think that what Joe did there is on a par with Mancini, uh, Pellegrini, um, you know, the same as Pep. I think what he achieved was was remarkable, um, and a very a very calm manager under pressure, and um, and I think that came across, and and eventually, you know, the players managed to turn things around and, and the club went in the right direction where it was always going to go um, for me. You know, you can't have that fan base. You can't have the quality of players that were at City at the time. You know, uh, you can't get promoted and then get promoted again unless you have good players. I think that's the essence of every successful team. You must have good players. And City did. They had an exceptional manager. They had an exceptional um, coaching with Donaghy at a fan base and a football club that were, um, you know, shouldn't have been in the second division. So, eventually, for me, I think it had to turn. Something I want to ask you about is is a question that, that I think a lot of the younger generation need to know. Obviously, I'm 24. I, I know my football, having read up on it and, and watched multiple clips from before I was born, etc. But I know a lot of youngsters might not understand what Man City was like when they played at Main Road. Everyone sees the big, incredible Etihad Stadium now and <clears throat> it's an incredible arena to play football at. I've been lucky enough to go to a game there and, and, and actually attend a few concerts there as well. But just what was Main Road like? Because for me, it's just it was an iconic football stadium. Well, I was fortunate enough in, the, you know, in those last um, three or four months of the season, in the first, my first season at the club, you know, to be a full house every week was sold out and... Yeah, the the it, it was just a special place, you know. I think you, you look at Everton and Liverpool, and I remember the Spurs Stadium, the same, you know, uh, West Ham, you know, those old stadiums that were close in on the pitch and compact. The the atmosphere and the energy that was created was huge, and, and Main Road was exactly the same. You know, when the kit packs was full and and um, and the you know and the football was right and the fans were on it. There's there's no better arena. It was it was an incredible place to play your football. Um, and very hard to um, reproduce that when you move club. You know, I think every club will, will say when they've gone to a new stadium that it'll take a, a fair a fair while to be able to generate that same feeling again because of the history, obviously, and the and the time frame. 
Something I need to ask you, ask everyone that I speak to who's been associated with Man City this. Did you ever have any uh, meetings with any of the Gallagher brothers? No, no, not in the early days. I have since, uh, on a few occasions, you know, at, uh, when I've been down to Wembley and that, come across. But not in the early days, no. Um, no, it wasn't. I think they were probably too busy touring then to, to be watching City. I think uh, I think they're at City a lot more now than and, uh, they're probably at home. Um, you know, and again, fans who, who stuck with the club through tough times, um, you know, when well, obviously those across the road were doing what they were doing. Um, and it would have been a really tough time for for anyone associated with Manchester City, but their loyalty, uh, sticking together and coming through that adversity, I think now you see the rewards for that with the with the football team and um, and not just on the European, it's a worldwide um, scale now. You know, Manchester City are a, are a global football team and and they're only growing, and I think that's a great reward for for that loyalty. As I said, from the fans who stuck stuck through them tough times. In terms of the achievement, you mentioned the fact that Jewel won back-to-back promotions. And at the time, you were only the, the fifth Man City captain to lift a trophy at Wembley when you won the playoff final. Just how proud were you to be involved with the club in, in those back-to-back promotions? Because as you said, an incredible achievement that's up there with the biggest achievements in Man City's history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very proud, as I said, you know, the, 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 the Hall of Fame at Blackpool win. And picking a trophy up, it's just a, a, a bit of uh, recognition for for a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, um, you know. And and again, you know, probably underachieved, overachieved in so many ways. If you know my life story, I have overachieved in many many ways. Um, but you know, I think with the the ability that I had, um, I think I underachieved in my football. Um, and for me, you know, picking up a, a bit of a reward for for all that hard work and all that determination as a youngster to, to be successful. And, you know, so many things came along in my life that, that made things difficult for me. Um, come up short in so many areas, but, you know, that, that moment was uh, was a huge, huge moment for me and um, uh, and felt a, a little bit of payback for the sacrifices that I'd made in the, the you know, the months before we got to Wembley. Um, and it just felt like you know the end of a road, uh, and, and a reward for me for for uh, you know for making sacrifices and, and and you know overcoming my own hurdles and problems, and um, and then lifting a trophy at Wembley, you know, with all, in front of all those fans was was something that will live with me forever. You mentioned your own personal battles, and I know you might not want to get into them in, in any great detail, but. There was a big drinking culture in English football in the 80s and the 90s and you, like many other footballers across the whole game, get caught up in that. Just how difficult was was playing in that sort of era where drinking and the drinking culture was so rife? Well, I wouldn't say it was difficult. Um, I think now, I, think if any, I don't think any footballer in the top level um, you know, would be able to, to drink and produce... The, the levels of performance that they do now, it, you know, it would be impossible, but it was just the norm, um, you know, to to drink at the weekends or drink on your day off, um, work hard, play hard. You know, that was just the, the culture at the time. Um, football's moved on massively now, um, you know, and with education, you know, sports science. And um, I think now you're seeing supreme athletes every week and, I think if they strayed away from that regimental training and, uh, you know, the performance would dip off. As I say, we were um, very resolute. Um, we were very strong.
strong characters and you know you could manage to get yourself up and get into training and uh, and get on with it you know um there was just like a 72 hour rule in football which i never broke in my whole career um before a game of football you know you weren't to drink 72 hours and in 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 my football career i never broke that once um you know which was which was expected especially when you're captain of most football clubs but when we went for a drink um, or we went out and uh, with the lads, you know, we certainly, we certainly made the most of it. And um, you know, when I think, uh, I think the stories that I've shared over the years, I think uh, probably reflect that. You mentioned the the, the sort of attitude, the days off. The <clears throat> Arsenal, Paul Merson always talks about the famous sort of Tuesday club. Is that the sort of way it was at Man City as well, and, and all the clubs at the top flight at that time? And not so much Man City. Um, when I went to Man City, obviously. Uh, in, in in the February of I think '99, um, you know, that was the last time I had a drink of alcohol, um, and so I, I actually, you know, I put the drink down then. But when I think back to my Huddersfield days and my Blackpool days, my Plymouth days, and yes, it was definitely it was definitely that way, um, you know. And it was not scorned on, you know. It was there was nothing um, ill thought of it. It was just what young men did, um, yeah. like I say. But the passage of time and, and education and understanding of what a top athlete has to do to play at the top levels and get the rewards that you get, you have to make sacrifices and uh, and you know I suppose for, you know in many ways you know keeping yourself fit and looking after yourself isn't a sacrifice, but um, you know the, uh, the 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 football culture has certainly changed hugely and and, and for the better. Two players I want to ask you about who you played with at City. I know you played with so many great players, but. Two really great goal scorers in Paul Dickoff and Sean Gota. What was it like to play against them in training and have them on your side? Similar as I spoke earlier on, you know, um Dickie's totally different to, to, to Sean. You know, Sean's goal scoring record is is phenomenal. Um Paul was more of a again, that channel runner looking to stretch here, very aggressive, very intense. Um, Sean was a, just as a natural finisher. His movement was exceptional in the box, and you know he was six one. He, he won his fair share of headers. He could give you a good target as well, um, and also running behind. Um, so yeah, there was I played with some great players at Manchester City, um, and you know it's it's very hard to pick somebody out when you've you've played with there's so many um, that were talented. But you know I'd probably have to say Ian Bishop uh, at his very very best. Ace Pomp was was um, an outstandingly talented footballer, um, and I sometimes think that the game in the British system probably curtailed Bish because uh, I think he went to America for his last couple of uh, couple of years, and I think he he was the the player of the of the, of the season now, which is obviously in the MLS. So you know, I went. I think he went across there and took the shackles off a little bit, and and probably showed what we never quite saw, but what I saw very often in training. Unbelievably talented footballer, you know, was like a Andres Perlo sort of quality about him. Um, but like I say, in the uh, in the English game, there's a different side to, to the midfield, uh, and you know, we were he was always asked to do that side of it as well, which maybe stopped the scene just how talented he was. But like I say. Uh, an incredible footballer. During your time at City, you had a couple of loan spells. You went and loaned to Blackpool again under Steve McMahon, but the loan spell I really am desperate to ask you about is when you went to Crystal Palace. You played alongside Neil Ruddock. What was that like? What a character he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was a 
it was a slow back forward, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> we we uh, Lewis Boamorte and Louis Saha were playing for Fulham. We went there, and I don't think we got outside the six yard box. We just stood on that for about ninety minutes. Um, yeah, great character, and, and again, a, a, a fantastic football club. We were struggling at that time, um, and you know, I enjoyed my time down there. But again. You know, when on reflection, I didn't know at the time, but you know, I was I was struggling so much with uh, with operations. I, you know, I it, I think I speak to players now, and they can understand when I say that I couldn't do the warm up or get through a warm up, but I could play in the game, if that makes sense, because the intensity and the movements in a warm up, you know, the knee would be that sore. But once you started the game, you could just get yourself into a familiar position and you could stand in certain areas and you could maybe physically dominate a striker and, and get to things early um, and get through the game. But, you know, trying to then trying to then wake up the next day and get up and go again was impossible. You know, and I ended up having 13 operations over my career on my left knee. Uh, and then in the end, you know, um, I went to Sheffield United on loan and knee went again and, and that was it. It was, you know, basically you're not going to be able to play football and you'll 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 definitely, you know, have to have your knee replaced if you don't retire now. Um and and it wasn't even an option because the specialist just said there's too much damage, you know, you can't carry on. Um and you know, and just had to bite the bullet and, and accept it and uh and retire at thirty one when I was just, you know, probably after putting the drink down at sort of twenty eight those couple of years where I got myself so fit and right mentally as well as physically, probably more mentally, you know, was ready for any challenge. Um, and then, you know, the hand of fate went against me and uh, and I had to retire. In terms of <clears throat> Palace and, um, <clears throat> pardon me, Sheffield United, you worked under Simon Jordan was the chairman and then at Sheffield United, you had Neil Warnock as a manager. What were they like? Because two incredibly massive characters within the game who are on the media quite a lot now and you can see their personality shining through. Yes, I, like, I didn't know much about Warnock. Uh, obviously heard all the rumours. Uh, went and played for him at Sheffield United and I, I found him a, a very charismatic character. Um, I, really, I really liked him because I felt... When results, with the, I could feel his pain and his anguish after a game. You know, it was real. It wasn't put on. You know, he, he, he was a he was a winner, and um, and you know, he, I I only played a few times for him, but I felt I wanted to play for him. I wanted to do well for him. He had the ability to to make you feel not that you owed him something, but you wanted to do well for him. And I think that's a gift in itself um, that a manager can come across in that way that you don't want to let him down. Um, Simon Jordan was a, was a huge character back then, probably a bigger character now um, at Crystal Palace, and um, you know he uh, he had a massive influence across the whole club. You know, you talk about people think you know we talk about Alex Ferguson running the whole show. Simon Jordan ran the whole show from top to bottom. You know, we stood in the change room after games, be over in the corner, which I I didn't like. I thought it put massive pressure on the manager Adam Smith to actually. You know, had to try and speak to the players. Uh, you've just lost a game of football, and the chairman stood behind you in the corner with a glass of wine. Um, it was something that I certainly uh, thought at that time that'll never happen if I go on to manage. You know, that uh, changing room is uh, is a locked place, and it's an emotional place, and a lot of things are said and done in a changing room, which 20 minutes later. You know, you look back and it's like anarchy, but that's the security of the changing room. You know, and and 
you just can't let people in there willy-nilly. And, and I didn't agree with it, but that was Simon Jordan, you know, that was uh, that was the sort of character he was. You mentioned the, the physical and mental challenges of football. For you, having suffered those injuries, as you said, after you'd stopped drinking, how tough was it mentally to have to retire? Because as you say, physically, in terms of fitness, you felt good, but your body was just giving up on you in terms of your knees. Yeah, it was just the knee, you know, and the body was strong. I felt strong. I was, you know, in the best shape I'd ever been in. Um, but the knee, you know, and it was a really tough time. And, and it's a, you know, it's a process you have to go through when you retire early. It's a grieving process. And, you know, you can have as many uh, therapists or do-gooders telling you that, you know, well, this is another chapter in your life. You've got to keep your chin up. You must go again. You know, this isn't the one door shuts. You have to go through a period of months and months of real struggle, and um, when it's been your life from the age of, you know, from the age of ten, and then you sign, you know, you sign your football contract at fifteen, and that's all you've ever done. It's it's not as easy as just to say, well, I've finished now. You know, I've got to go in a different direction. There's a process you have to go through, um, and you know, thankfully for me, it was only a few months. But I I know of players who have taken years to get to get over that, and some have never managed to get over it. Um, so it is a real tough time, yeah, um, and, and mentally very, very challenging when when you have your profession taken away. Especially, you know, I, I left school at the age of fifteen uh, and no education whatsoever. So you know, all of a sudden you're you're retired from football. There's nowhere to go. You've got no education. You've got no trade um, or of any sort to then have to try and go out into the world and start again. It's very tough. Absolutely, and and you went out in the world as you said, and but you stayed within football. You were, you were coaching. Um, when you retired, you coached at Northwich Victoria, um, for a while. Sorry, in Worc- um, Worcester, Worcester City as well. So you 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 were involved within the game in in, in different ways. Um, was management always a, always an ambition of yours? Yeah, absolutely, always was. As a player, I always envisaged. Um, you know, managing one day. Um, and, you know, when I think back to, you know, when we started at uh, at Worcester with Andy Priest and, uh, and uh, Northwich and then we went to Airbus, you know, it was something that I always wanted to do. And, you know, it wasn't obviously until 2015 that I got the opportunity at uh, Connors Key and, uh, and I grabbed it, you know, and I made sure that I didn't miss the opportunity because opportunities come along, you know, um, very rarely in life do great opportunities come along and, and, and you've got to make sure you're prepared and when they do come you've got to grab them you know the opportunity that I got at Manchester City was very fortunate to get it but I made sure I took it the opportunity I got at Connors Key uh, I was very fortunate to get it but when I got it I made sure I made the most of it and I'm continuing to to make the most of it now and trying to continue to push the club forward and uh, and ultimately you know close that gap to TNS and uh and, and win the league. That, that that has to be the ultimate goal for 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 me uh, and uh, and Connors Key. Absolutely, you've got your goals, and you're still doing a wee bit of work with Manchester City as well, I believe. And obviously, the book, the good, the mad, and the ugly, the Andy Morrison stories out as well. Um, where can people buy that book if they're interested in it? Yeah, I still work at the city match days, and I still do um, support branches and um, do functions for the club. Not as many as I used to do. Obviously, now we've been full time with with Connors Key, but um, you know, very very proud and uh, to still be attached to the club and and uh, be able to go along on match days and, and mix in with the fans and 
Um, the book was out in 2010, I think. I think it's over 10 years uh, now it's been going. And I think uh, maybe Amazon or probably eBay, eBay now. But um, I believe there might be a, another one coming out pretty soon. So that we're just in the process of speaking to a few publishers now. So Brilliant. I think round two might be pretty close. Sounds great. And I look forward to reading that as well. And I'd like to finish with around a quick fire questions. First of all, who was the best players you played with? Alan Shearer. <laughs> great answer. Best against? Played against... Um... I'll have to say Peter Unlove because he absolutely destroyed me, absolutely tortured me. Um, so I'd have to say Peter Unlove when he was at his best at Coventry. What would you say is the biggest challenge in football management that fans are not aware of? Um, I don't see anything as a challenge, Callum. I've got to be honest. I love the job. I love doing what I do. There's nothing that comes along that I, I feel as a challenge. Um, no. Um, I, for me personally, I would say being able to to deal with defeat, to to, to be able to deal with things going against me, um, is the biggest challenge, you know. And I don't pray a lot, but I, I pray for the strength to deal with with uh, with defeat in in a humble and, and gracious way, because I, I'm a very very poor loser. In terms of Yourself, Andy, and, 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 and Connors Key, we obviously wish you all the best going forward there. You are Scottish, I've got to ask the question. In maybe five years, ten years' time, would you like to manage in Scotland one day? I will never think too far ahead. One day at a time, mate, for me, um, and the next game of football. That's difficult at the moment because we don't know where the next game of football is. And all my life has always been about the next game. Um prepare meticulously for that game give my full attention to that game everything I have to try and win that game and when that's gone move on to the next one so I, I, I never look too far ahead mate I really don't um, I'm, I'm very privileged to be working in the Welsh Premier League and, yeah. uh, and you know and as long as I keep working hard um, I keep going to the lengths that I do to bring success then hopefully I'll be fortunate enough to stay in the Welsh League Great answer and last question I've got for you is what advice would you give to any young manager entering the game now, whether that's in the Welsh setup, Scottish setup, anywhere at all? What what advice would you give to any manager listening to this? Off the cuff, what comes to mind when you ask that question? What advice could I give? Um, I'd have to say you've got to work hard and you've got to be committed. There is no shortcut. You know, uh, your your success will reflect the amount of work you put in as a universal law you get back what you give in you give whatever you give in life you'll get you'll get back an equal amount so don't expect success to come to you if you're if you're uh, if you're not going to go to the lengths that other managers are going to or other people in the game you know don't don't sit sulking when you don't get the opportunity or things don't go your way you just make sure that uh, you're willing to go to any length and you're willing to work harder than any other manager that you come up against Brilliant, great answer Andy, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and I was down at Connors Key and uh, it was a great experience when I was down there getting the signed shirt from you, everything was just such a great experience so I want to thank you first of all for being on the podcast today but I also want to thank you for your incredible hospitality as well. Oh pleasure Callum, uh, it's uh, like I say, it's a, it's a great football club, it's a great league and you know when we get an opportunity to host somebody we, we, we try and look after them and, uh, and I know you were 
I know you were very impressed with how we looked after you, and uh, and it's great that you know we get a chance to you know Jamie's been on with you and a chance to to again you know just air air and give a little bit of uh, air time to to our great league. Absolutely, all the best for the future, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, Callum. Top man. Thanks, Paul. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song